With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I met the man who invented the windowsill the other day. Honestly, what a ledge. Nice. Haven't heard the word ledge in a while. Yeah, no, I hadn't either, either. So um, a nice return for that word. (laughs) Probably the first time we've used it on the pad hoc. So what a day already. (laughs) Was there a reason why you moved back to telling other people's jokes, Nate? Uh, I haven't been on a plane recently, Lawrence. (laughs) 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 It's all about the place. So, you know, when I go to Abu Dhabi, the post-Abu Dhabi episode will have more OG content. Okay, okay. Right. Oh, sorry, OC, not OG. OC. Okay. OG, well, I mean, we, it might be OG. might be OG content. Well, I liked it. I'm going to crack straight on and say it's a seven. Okay. I'll take it. A solid seven. That's pretty solid. On the Barreto scale, like, anything that's not a nine, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of nines. Um, uh, yeah, that's... that's that you one. did have quite a, a nice period where you had a lot of nines. That's true. Yeah. No, I'll take a seven. Good That's gonna keep you on your toes, Nate. Keep you on your toes. We've been above. We've been above five for a long time, so I'm pretty happy. Don't jinx it. Yeah, wait until next week. <laughs> Might try and bomb on purpose. Why would you do that? Why, <laughs> like, people come here for the laughs, Nate. Why would you just substandard <laughs> your joke? Well, you know, I'm just trying to keep people entertained in different ways by being crap. Bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm I'm ahead of I'm ahead of the curve, guys. Ahead of my time. Edgy. Welcome to the Padhock, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Bretto, senior writer at F1.com. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN. Good afternoon. Hi, guys. <laughs> you can see we all wanted to do the same thing there. It's a bit sad that I'm now looking at you back on a TV screen, having had the absolute pleasure of being sat in the same room as Chris Medland for the last recording. Uh, Nate, it just feels like it's the same as it was last time for you. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's still a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I I would have been overwhelmed being that close to someone who's nearly got a thousand, uh, sorry, a hundred thousand Twitter followers. That's a celeb you you were sat next to. You you played golf with a celeb and Lando Norris last time out. That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, I know I didn't play. Sorry, a wrong Lawrence. Oh my god, I can't even get the I can't get Padhock stories right anymore. Terrible. Oh dear. Any more? Did you ever get anything right? Really? Not particularly. No, (laughs) I did get a ten out of ten once. I mean, that's, that's true. That is true. Is that on your Twitter profile? It's not. It should be, shouldn't it? After this, I'll should do one time ten out of ten winner joke joke the Barreto joke rater rated. By the time this is published, I expect it to be on your Twitter profile. Anyone listening right now should be able to go to at Nate Saunders F one, I think, and Nate Saunders F one, yeah, and find that profile bio that says ten out of ten. 
and while we're doing plugs, if no one's following Chris Medland, as Nate was alluding to, he's so, <laughs> so close to 100,000 that if you, if you could just help him get to that figure, it would make his day. I was going to say something opposite. I think Meadows really wants to get there. If you are following Meadows, can you just unfollow him for like a day or two <laughs> just to see how, how, many, like, how many more followers it takes him, how longer it takes him to get there? You can follow him again at the end of the week. That would be better, to be fair, because I was saying to these guys off air before we started this, I actually have paid zero attention to the number of followers I had on Twitter until I've now got close to six figures. And suddenly you do just check it that little bit more often and be like, oh, that'd be quite cool. I mean, it'll make no difference when it clicks over. I'll be like, oh, right, great, nice. And then you just move on. But until then, I'm like checking it too, far too often. So if everyone just could stop following and then it, it's not a thing anymore. There you go. You heard that. Didn't you, Lawrence? Loud and clear. Please stop, stop following. following. <laughs> Please stop following me. Cries Medland. That's the headline. Cries. Thing is that it cries, screams, pleads, <laughs> pleads Medland. If you and I stop following him, Nate, though, people might think we've fallen out. They might. Oh my god, there'll be like a Twitter beef. That would be a real beef hawk, wouldn't it? That would be a proper beef. <laughs> Whoa, Twitter beef, 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 beef. That's great. Well, there you go. We've we've already we've already made up a, con- a controversy for this week. Um, strong pretty good yeah yeah. lots of controversy in F1 at the moment isn't there chaps there's loads I was going to say something that's not controversial actually uh, and it's our reviews this week because Ooh. we have two nice ones and I wanted to read them out I think one of them again I'm, I'm sometimes slow on this one of them came in on the 8th of November but I hadn't seen it so I'm sorry about that um, from Katharina H in Germany who says uh, entertaining and sometimes even informative which again is yeah, questionable, but we, we like that. Um, and they say, I've now worked my way through all 50 episodes in the past four or so weeks. Crikey, wow. you need to get out more. Uh, and you guys somehow managed to sneakily transition from funny hirecast stories and quite a bit of drunkenness, brackets, not while recording, sadly. Uh, side note, we will do that one <laughs> not day. Not yet. Yeah. Christmas. Give us time. Uh, into some actual F1 talk. Uh, well done. Loving the 60-second review. Really enjoying the mindless, agreeing to ridiculous ideas and still waiting for Nate's OnlyFans. All in all, Padhock loved the Padhock and Gasly too, which I, I just, thought, oh, I thought, thanks. I thought if we just didn't mention the OnlyFans thing for ages, it would just go away, but clearly it's got a life for its own. Oh, mate, it's, it's running. It's, it, I mean, there's, there's money to be made for you there. Come on, the off-season's coming. You need to stay warm <laughs> <Yeah>. in winter. <laughs> Energy prices are going up. I'm not, I'm not switching on my, my heating this winter. <laughs> my, my radiators are staying off, so yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Um, okay, well, I'll think about that. <laughs> separately that's Give a the people what they want make Bob. okay well, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be in a situation next year where Medus has his hundred thousand followers on twitter and i've got hundred thousand followers on OnlyFans. is that how it works <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> it will make you a lot more rich than it'll make me if I that's think it'll the make case. Me a ton of money yeah. I, would, I would be I would, I would be very rich <laughs> um well while you work on that uh the other review we've got is from willet wright who is in canada uh and they titled it load off fannies yay someone who listened uh, yes. a fantastic well-informed honest and refresh refreshingly silly podcast about f1 oh. i do like to be described as refreshingly silly <laughs> um i might put that on my pod as on, on my bio as well yeah <laughs> we're part of a refreshingly silly pod <laughs> yeah uh, they get to the races brackets sometimes guru 2021 uh, actually talk about the drivers like they are people and have diverse opinions about the sport leading to fun conversations you didn't get elsewhere Love it. Also, boys, take a listen to The Weight by the band. It'll make a lot more sense. Okay. Okay. Um, like advice okay, taken. Cool. Yeah. We'll we'll make a note of that. And uh we'll be refreshingly silly about it once we have. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, uh, but thank you very much, Willett Wright and Katharina H., both of which yeah, gave us five you. stars. So once again, oh, checks in a post. This is costing a lot of money. <laughs> thank you, guys. But can we move on to the review that we all really want? Oh, <laughs> you mean this one? If you've only got one minute to spare, want to know who finished when and where, sit back, relax, because we got you. Here's Nate with the 60-second review. I hate sand. It's rough, it's coarse, it gets everywhere. With that in mind, here's my review of the Qatar Grand Prix. Thanks. Me, 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 me. Lewis Hamilton, he was pretty dominant, wasn't he? We haven't seen that since, oh, I don't know, try 2020 maybe. Max Verstappen in second, he was pretty well behaved compared to some people at Red Bull, except from when he went through that yellow flag, of course, but never mind. Something a bit different this time. The battle for third. Valtteri Bottas, his tyres went boom before he could finish third. Sergio Perez, he stopped one more time in an attempt to finish third. He couldn't, though. He might as well have had 1,500 tyres in his car because you know who finished third? Fernando Alonso, the matador, Mr. El Plan. You know, when Fernando Alonso retires from F1, I think they should retire his number. Not from Alpine, not from Formula One, but from the entire numerical system. The greatest drive (laughs) since cars were invented. He had Esteban Ocon to thank a little bit, only a tiny bit, in fifth, Lance Stroll sixth. Well done. Science and Leclerc seventh and eighth. Ferrari, which was very good, as McLaren only scored two points with Norris in ninth. Vettel tenth. Gasly, we love Gasly. I love Gasly, but Lady Fortune doesn't. His car went nowhere. Danny Rick had car issues. Yuki, you're not making it easy, mate. Kimi, Giovinazzi, Schumacher, I'm running out of time. Russell had a puncture. Mazepin was there, and Latifi also had a puncture. Blah. <laughs> Great finish. <laughs> yeah, I really, I think it went maybe, maybe slightly over, like by a second. Uh, um, that was the bar, I think. <laughs> yeah, so to be fair, the review had finished. I just had to make a noise to, to finish it off. Wow. Tremendous work, Nate. Tremendous. Thanks, mate. Uh, uh, we could start a, a petition, to be fair, to remove 14 from the numerical system. I'm sure that will that yeah. get some legs. Um, I think people would be all over it. Um, I, know, I know certain journalists would be. There's a lot of big <laughs> Fernando Alonso fans in the paddock. There um, are, to be fair. For anyone listening, because I'll get some shit for that. I think Fernando Alonso is a great driver. I just find it funny that whenever he, whenever he does anything moderately good or great, like he did at the weekend, he's like, "I am God," <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's like, dude, like I respect you, but stop it, just stop being like this, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was pretty. It was pretty great to see him back on the podium. It was very cool. It's been so long, hasn't it? What seven years? And it's when I think was it you tweeted it, Nate, that he'd been. Uh, Lewis was a one-time champion at the last time he was on the podium and like Yuki was still in a go-kart and stuff like that. It was just crazy how long it had been. It wasn't, that was a different one. I tweeted that the last time it's on the podium, or since it's on the podium, Lewis has won six championships and Alonso's gone off and done Indy twice. He's failed to qualify for it once. He's done WEC. He's won, he's won, he's won WEC, won Le Mans, done the, done the Dakar rally. And that wasn't, there was even things I'd missed. And the thing was with that, I tweeted that as in, look how long it's been. And all these people tweeting like, so what's your point? <laughs> Who are you to say that? And I was like, I'm just, just pointing out. It's nuts that it's been that long. And everyone was like, classic journalist. I was like, piss off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, making a, I'm, making a, I'm making an observation in 240 characters and I don't care for you. So get out of my feed. So I just, I just, I just blocked a bunch of people. It was great. Very therapeutic. But um, Yeah. There you go. I like refreshingly pissed off, Nate Saunders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like the way that you've uh, you responded to that. I hope was that actually in written form as well? Did you say piss off? It wasn't, but I think I'm going to take that audio clip. And every time someone pisses me off now, I'm just going to just respond with that, and just be like, "Here you go. That's my response to your tweet." 
tweet bracket with an S at the end, in case you did multiple at me. <laughs> Good planning. I like it. You've got this sussed. You're reinventing Twitter. One step at a time. I mean, I'm just happy. I'm nearly on 10,000 betters. So I'm I'm a tenth of, of the Twitter man that you are, which is nuts. Um, how close are you to 10,000? I, I think I'm still... Actually, I think I'm still over a thousand away. Uh, I'm closer to ten than I am to five. I think. Well, but obviously, anyone listening, please follow me. Exactly. Yeah. Let's As get you, after you've unfollowed Meadows, can you follow me? And then create some stock accounts and follow me with those. Is it like a transfer? You want to get people to? Yeah. You know basically. they can follow more than one person. It's not like you get one follow and you have to choose who it is. I don't think you understand how Twitter works, Meadows. <laughs> <laughs> True. But yeah, that, that was the review. Um, because the, the the race for third was really all there was, wasn't there? Like in terms of real drama, but it was pretty entertaining. Um, I thought it was far more entertaining than anyone thought that race was going to be. I remember going into that race and everyone was saying, "Oh, turn one's the only place you could overtake," and the rest of it's just quarter after quarter after quarter, and there's not going to be anything. And I genuinely thought it was a pretty good Grand Prix. There were a ton of cars out of position, I guess so they had a delta, and it was easier for them to go through. But uh, all in all, I thought it was a pretty good race. Yeah, I'd agree. I thought that there was definitely more overtaking than expected. And what was good about turn one was the fact that um, obviously there wasn't much grip offline. So if you got a good run on someone but went to the outside, that was never a done deal just because you got ahead into the corner. I think we saw quite a few drivers kind of losing the rear or whatever, and someone could sneak back down the inside because they had more grip and could take turn one quicker, even though it's quite a quick corner. So that worked actually quite nicely. And there's a few times, wasn't it, people went, wheel to wheel again was it Kimmy who went side by side with Latifi for a couple of corners to get ahead and um even Perez had some uh, Ocon fight back a few corners later stuff like that Gasly I think might have got the only crown of overtaking someone at like turn seven or you know doing a move that did not start at turn one um which was bold uh but yeah it was it was quite cool actually it was better than I think a lot of people were expecting but you're also right having people out of position helped and it was a shame that Bottas's tie went bang because I guess there's, it might not have played out like this, but there was a chance you'd have had Bottas catching Perez, catching Norris, catching Alonso for third. And those mm. is one of those four that's going to get it. Um, and the fact that they, they would have been you know, fighting each other meant you couldn't have called exactly who would have come out on top, even though they're probably in reverse pace order then, weren't they? That was the quickest car would have been at the back and the, technically the slowest car at the front out of the four. So, yeah, that would have been cool. But damn you, Pirelli. <laughs> yeah. No, that, 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 now you've said that. You've ruined my opinion of the race. I thought it was great. And now I've thought the race that could have been. <laughs> Sorry, Medis' mate. race. Medis' version. Taylor's version. Sounds even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I liked it. I thought, um, I like a track like that. Like, I usually hate ones where there's a big runoff. But that one, the curbs actually did, like, if you kept going off the track, there are places where you'd really do damage to your car, like we saw with, Pe- uh, with, sorry, with, with Gasly. And obviously, a lot of the teams went further than Pirelli said, but when you're trying to run your tires that long, you've got to stay inside the track, you know? So it's one of those things where if we are going to go to more of these places where they have big runoffs, you should make the, like make the off bit of the track, like damaging to go off, or at least something where there's jeopardy there. It wasn't all over the track, but it was in enough places that, you know, it impacted people's weekends like Gasly's um, and a few of the other guys. So yeah, pretty good. Um, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Cause it was like, we, we get in that race and we probably won't see it again because they're obviously building, you know, they want to potentially get a new facility for 2023. So um, it just felt a bit, it felt like a bit weird just seeing it like pop in. So I spoke to like the 
executive director, I think it was, of the Motorsport Federation there ahead of the race. And he said, I'm not sure how much of this I actually believe, but he said that um, there was a chance it could stay at La Salle if, or La Salle or La Salle, I mean, is it L-U-L-O? They changed the way they spell it even there. The town, the town is La Salle. Yeah. It's La Salle. Yeah. That's it. It'd be like if, it'd be like if like Silverstone was actually called Solverstone. Exactly. (laughs) And they were like, Welcome to the circuit, Silverstone, which is just outside the, the town of Silverstone. People are like, what's going on? You should call it Silverstein. Who, who came up on. with this? You just switch, <laughs> switch them. Budapest. Going to Budapest. <laughs> Go to Ostin next week. <laughs> Moxico City. I'm going I'm, I'm to stop there. <laughs> this could be the whole pod, just me. <laughs> it's not that entertaining, is it? Just adding an O in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> I'm Australia. Oh, absolutely lost it, guys. Absolutely <laughs> lost it. I apologise to anyone who's listening. Again. Uh, no, or just, just, yeah, just generally, especially that person that listened to 50 in three weeks. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 commitment. Yeah, I've, we'll, we'll check on them after this. Um, yeah, he was saying that they might actually stay there, though, if, if the race had been good, if it fit quite well, if F1 you know, wasn't rubbish on that track, it could stay there and they could look at tweaks they could make and improvements. So I don't know if that's true or not, because... It was a you know a, a good facility, but could do with some upgrading for certain bits to make it a little bit nicer. Um, but in terms of the crowd they had and stuff, I think they didn't have any trouble putting in the grandstands that gave it what twenty five, thirty thousand. You know, it's sort of Bahrain levels of attendance. Um, you've got a motorway that goes straight to the circuit. It's only the very last bit that was a little bit tricky, but even then, um, the first day. So weirdly, this is a random travel. It's not even woes story, but uh, arriving at the track on Friday, so the first day fans were there. And you come off at the slip road to um, go back over the motorway. So it's just like a right angle, left-hand turn um, that takes you over the motorway onto this dual carriageway to the tracks. And nice and easy, really well like laid out and stuff. But there's traffic lights at the top of the slip road before you turn left, which is for normal day use, just to allow anyone who's trying to leave the track to come out. But, you know, hardly anyone's using that any other time of year. But they hadn't changed like the frequency of the lights. So on Friday morning, loads of people... Well, a steady stream of people are trying to come off the motorway there and turn left, and the lights would change and sit on red for a couple of minutes. And by the time that they'd done that, just you know, only had to be for a small window, but a couple of minutes on red to let anyone coming out go, which was nobody because no one was leaving at that time. Uh, and you got a huge tailback that went all the way onto the motorway. So in the end, police had to come up and be like, "Ignore the red light, just crack on." Um, so yeah, like they suddenly realised it's a silly little thing you don't think of, but yeah, there's a lot more people showing up that, than usual, and uh, they were backing up onto the motorway. So I was like, yeah. So it's quite funny being waved through a red light and fortunately there's no camera there, otherwise that would have been an expensive bill. Sounds like a rogue policeman oh, doing that on the side of the road. Done there. Am I right? Yeah. Am I right, guys? Yes. Anyway, right. carry on. Carry on. <laughs> well, let's, let's, being... let's get into this now, actually. Like we'll come back to more Qatar. I've actually ruined sorry, I've ruined Lawrence's run plan by being rogue myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's fine. It's only ever a guide, mate. That's true. Sky. The rules are made to be broken, aren't they? Um, you guys were in Qatar. Um, what did you make of everything that Horner said at the weekend? Because I felt like he basically hung himself out to dry a little bit in that he just kept on talking. Like, and his statements were getting closer and closer to the line, and I think he enjoys that. And I think this shows that being like that, I think it's fair enough if that's how you want to be, but there's you've got to... It's got a it's got a real um, uh, consequence, you know, when you say something like that, which was stupid and was really irresponsible to say. So I'm glad that he kind of got a slap on the wrist because I think it will hopefully kind of rein him in a bit for the next couple of races. What do you guys think? I think that he probably went 
too far. Um, he had, so when was the last time he had a blowout like this? Silverstone, I think, where he kind of went over the line. That's when he called Lewis an amateur, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, there have been a couple of moments where, you know, I can see why because it's so highly, it's so tense. You can see why sometimes people probably say things that they shouldn't say. But I kind of feel like here he went too far over the line and should have known better. That's I just I feel like he's he's kind of letting the whole team down a little bit, isn't he? And that kind of approach and. Um, I th- I'm sure when he goes back and looks at it, he'll regret saying it because he's gone too far. Um, but then I don't know what it's like to be in that position. Like, I don't know what it's like to be running a full on team and not having won the title for eight years and just it, it, all the pressure is getting on top of you and then you snap. I like, Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, so, isn't it? Because he was saying that, um, he was saying, oh, Toto's feeling the pressure. You know, Mercedes are feeling the pressure. And I think it was a real indication that the pressure at Red Bull is massive. And I feel like they... We talked about it on the last pod, but like in Brazil, they were like, this is our moment when Lewis got that penalty. I think they can start, they're starting to feel like, like, oh, this title was looking like ours to lose. And now it's just slipping away from us slowly because Mercedes, you know, this car improvement they've made, you know, Lewis has the momentum. And I think that that was the, the kind of the telling because Marco was saying the same stuff to the Austrian TV, wasn't he? And I know Marco's very controversial in what he says, but yeah, you just felt like, if you were Mercedes watching that, I'm sure they were sat back like, this is great. Like, this is exactly how we want them to be responding. They're just completely, like, there's cracks appearing. So, and none of it was from Max, really. Max was kind of, Max did really well at the weekend. So Horner, you're absolutely right. Like, Horner kind of let the team down in a big way, which as a team boss, you just can't do. Yeah, it's quite funny you say that because I'm going to ramble for ages now because you've made, you've picked up like four points that I totally agree with. But one is that clearly what Horner's trying to do and Wolf was doing the same and they kind of half admitted to it on the Friday is protect the team from all this controversy and stuff. They want to be the focal point of like the drama in the sense of, you know, stuff is kind of piling on them, but not on the team. And that lets, that takes the pressure off the team and off the drivers to do the job they need to do. Uh, And I think in some senses that worked, but because they're both doing that, they're both kind of pushing each other and it means that they're getting closer and closer to the line and eventually crossed it. And I think Horner went, yeah, definitely too far because even when he, surely when he thinks back, he's going to realise that what he was doing was like, blaming someone for doing the exact right thing that's a safety thing as well just because his driver then didn't benefit from it and it's it's one of those things where you're looking at everyone but yourselves for where a problem was and that's not what f1 team should be doing like you normally work out you know you only improve by improving yourself you don't just say well you know if that if that marshall had completely ignored what he should do in that situation we'd have been better off i mean that's just such a ridiculous kind of claim or desire to want so uh, i thought he did go yeah definitely over the line but the problem then was the fact that he said, or the, in the stewards' um, summons like report afterwards when they gave him the warning, they said he admitted it was like in the pressure of competition that he came out with this statement um, and wanted to apologise and all this stuff. But then as soon as he was asked afterwards, he said the pressure's not getting to him. It, what, he's not under pressure. He stands by what he said. He doesn't regret what he said. He just regrets the fact that he directly targeted a marshal and he has respect for the marshal and apologises to the marshal. But it's like, but you, you're saying that you still stand by it. So... Like in a in a kind of weird way, you're not following up with everything the stewards have just said in that report. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like he's actually just kind of doubling down on it and being like, nope, you know, this stuff's going against our team and it's not our fault. And I think if anything, it's you know, Red Bull need to turn around. That situation could absolutely happen again because it happened to Lewis in Austria, didn't it? It isn't just on the driver if they miss it, but if you know, if there's a car going slowly, that radio message should go to Max. Look out for yellows. Um, look out for Gasly. Because 
if they're there and you miss them, you're going to get penalised. It doesn't matter that you didn't intend to, that you know that you thought there weren't any. If you're not looking for them, then you're going to get a penalty. And the only way to avoid that is not let's tell the marshal not to put the yellow flag out because he needs to. It's a danger. It's make sure that your driver has a chance of seeing it so that they don't sort of break the rules. And so on that, Carlos um, was also investigated and he hadn't even seen a yellow flag and he just slowed down because he knew that there was something wrong. So I think it's, I think there's two things here. Surely, okay, if you haven't seen the yellow flag, then you might feel um, unjust if you get a penalty for it because there was one there. But if there is actually a danger there, it doesn't matter if there's a flag there or not. I think you need to be slowing down because it, the whole point of the flag system is it's a safety issue. So I don't, I, I couldn't see any argument where that what he did was okay. Yeah, and on that that science thing, you're absolutely right. And in in that, I think it was in the same Sky interview, he said something like, "Oh, you know, Carlos just lifted ten meters before the line or whatever, and he got away with it." And it's like, well, yeah, like he as soon as he realised the situation was dangerous, he did something that you know that showed that. And Horner just didn't. I just was looking at it and I was like, "What are you talking like? What are you talking about?" And I get the us versus the world mentality. But the funny thing as well was that, like, the precedent, one of the precedents, there were two, wasn't there, they used. One was Vettel this year. But the other one, you mentioned it earlier, Meadows, was Lewis and Austria. That came about because Red Bull protested because Lewis had gone through and he claimed, I didn't see, you know, the lights. I, I think the lights weren't on properly or weren't on at a certain point in the track. And Red Bull said, no, there's yellow flags. You've got to obey them, you know, and you should have recognised the danger. So it was another case. I looked back at what Horner said in Austria last year. And I was like, mate, when you can use your own quotes against you a year on, you know that you're just kind of, unfortunately, kind of, you know, I think you're being uh, liberal with what you're saying, maybe, and how close to what you believe um, is actually coming out. So not a great week for him. And I totally get that you know, he wants his team to win. And I, I, he's obviously a you know, very, very good team boss. And everyone at Red Bull, you know, massively loves him. And you can see why, because he's always got their back. But yeah, I think this is where this week, I think, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I think this also showed the pressure of three straight weeks in the paddock, especially the intensity has been ratcheting up like that. And they've had, especially when they had that press conference together. And I wonder this week, just get away from the paddock. He doesn't have to look at Toto again. <laughs> he doesn't have to be asked a question about Toto. Like, does that just calm things down? They can almost just spend time together rather than, you know, having to walk past Mercedes every day. And I, yeah, I just felt like it, it seemed like, you know, it was day 21 of 20, you know, of a, of a three week slog basically um so yeah it all seemed to all seem to come together yeah and i think it's fair to point out that it was the same for toto in brazil as well in that i think it the way the momentum is shifting it plays a key part in who handles it better so when rebel had obviously won in mexico looked comfortable got to brazil and lewis had a penalty and and then they were still quick but not as quick as lewis but then lewis gets disqualified you know like you say christian can be a bit kind of mischievous almost and i'm i'm i swear like was it on the grid for Sunday's race that Red Bull had changed their rear wing parts again under under Park Fermi because they'd said, you know, stuff had failed and it needed changing. And it was the parts that had failed on the Merc that they hadn't been able to change. And I felt like they did that just to wind Toto up, that they're able to do it. But you saw Toto's reaction, didn't you, with what he said to Lewis after the uh, sprint with uh, F them all. And then when he said um, at the end of at the end of the race or when he overtook Max and he like you know pointed at the camera and looked really angry that meme that's now come out you could see incredible reaction yeah but it's like an explosion of emotion wasn't it which can be too far like in certain times I mean like F them all was vague enough but you know if that was proven to be pointed at the stewards then he'd have been called up for exactly what Horner got called up for in Qatar so um, 
you could see then when it was getting to Wolf, but then as soon as Merck got the wins and then looked quick again in Qatar, he can be a bit calmer. He can afford to be because things are going better for him. And then suddenly for Christian, it's not. And he he was the one who's then ratcheted the pressure up a little bit more and, and maybe went too far. So um, it has been the same for both of them. And it's going to be incredible to see what they're like. Like Abu Dhabi, they're just both going to be summoned about 20 times, aren't they, for things they say, because they're not going to be able to control it. It's pretty amazing, isn't it, that there's eight points between these two drivers, two races left. And we've just spent 10 minutes talking about their, their bosses, you know, the team bosses. I think that shows you like the, how deep this championship goes. It's not just two drivers. It's like, it's all encompassing. So, And yeah, the fact cool. that the bosses are trying to protect the teams, like it is making yeah. them the story. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, we're not really talking about anything that either driver has properly done on track because I guess there wasn't anything massively newsworthy apart from the yellow flag thing. So um, yeah, it does. It is quite interesting the way that that's kind of panned out instead, but um They've been pretty, that it's kind of smart. You can see what they're trying to do. It's funny as well, because Horner said, you know, Toto and I are very different characters on the Friday and, you know, I don't need to kiss his ass and all this stuff. But they're actually being exactly the same. They're both trying to be the big front man who takes it all on themselves. And their, their management style is actually strangely, like, similar in this situation, which is quite funny to watch. I think sometimes people that really don't get on like that are actually very similar people. They've just got a different way of showing it. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, but it's so clear, isn't it, that those two don't like each other. And, um, you know, I think that that has carried over um, into everything they say, which, to be honest, for a sport, I think is is healthy. Like, it's, as, as long as it stays within the lines, I think it's completely, I think it's great. Like, everyone always jokes that, oh, like, the Netflix series is going to be great. But, like, some of the stuff that's going on behind closed doors this year is going to be genuinely really fascinating to see, like, next year when that series comes out. Because... You know, there'll be comments made, like, just imagine just Brazil, like, or they were with Mercedes in Brazil or in Qatar, one of the two, I forget which one. In Ca- I think in Qatar, they were with both. With um, both, right. Yeah. So, I mean, even then, that that's pretty that's pretty amazing. So, I'm genuinely excited for that, like, to come out and just to, I hope there's, like, a, an episode just dedicated to those two, just, like, moaning and bitching and moaning about each other behind closed doors, that'd be great. I think it's great that Mercedes have um, let Netflix in a little bit more this year as well, so that at least when they tell the story in Drive to Survive next year, they're going to have it from an equal part. So it was, I didn't realise that they were in both embedded with both teams in the last race. I think that's great because it kind of gives a more fair version of what's going on. And just to pick up on your point, Nate, I think it's fine. You can't like everybody, can you, really? So it, it would be probably almost strange if they were getting on really well when they were fighting for a championship that has probably been the most exciting that we've seen for more than a decade. So... I think it's great um, off track and I'm looking forward to the next couple of races. Warner recently has reminded me a bit of Montoya, how Montoya used to talk about Schumacher. Do you remember he was always really mischievous with him, was always poking the bear and Schumacher sometimes was just like, would just respond and be like, you know, you could see it really wound him up, but he also didn't know how to respond. Whereas Montoya usually had quite a lot of fun, you know, doing that. And there's a bit of that dynamic at play there. And again, that's what made like Schumacher Montoya quite, compelling on track like as an example like you just you're like i know these two guys don't really like each other it's all part of the game isn't it really yeah it's just like in cricket you know there's it's not just about the sport it's about the the banter around it and stuff it's just the way sledging maybe there should be f1 sledging they should be able to radio each other messages like max you smell and max then spins out like oh my god (laughs) maybe something better than that but strong sledge yeah strong yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean give me yeah I'll, i'll work on some i'll work on some insults we um we got to spend most of the morning actually with uh, a team boss, but not Toto or Christian. And um, it was Brett and I got to 
um, do brunch with Gunter um, in, was it the Saturday morning? Yeah, Saturday morning, um, which was really nice to ask to invite a few of us in and we could have a bit of a like catch up and off record chat about certain things and all that. Um, and he was, he was on good form actually. He was um, really entertaining, but I think he quite likes not being in, in it that much. Like he's seeing all the, all the other pressure that others are under and what they're fighting. He's like kind of in his own little zone of dealing with Haas and setting them up for next year. So I think he's enjoying watching it from the outside rather than being like properly in it right now, which sounds strange to say. You'd imagine everyone wants to be in a title fight, but he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm all right at this point. But, um, he was on very good form. He took the piss out of Barreto a lot. <laughs> From the very first minute we sat down on the table, right? I had a hard time. Then you guys all jumped on. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Hey, look, Getting on the bandwagon. We're kiss asses. So, you know, if there's an F1 person there and, and, and it's them or you, we're going with them. I was hoping that breakfast would go one way whereby he could like deflect some of the abuse that I normally get onto you guys. No. But um, no, uh, it's been a difficult year for him, I think. He's really good at um, kind of in the same way that Toto and Christian are shielding their team from from a certain type of pressure. He's kind of having to shield his team for the, the disappointment of just not really being in the game this year. And there's been a couple of times where I've chatted to him and you can you can feel how hard that how hard it is, arguably a harder job. Um, because you're just turning up week in, week out, knowing you're not really in the fight. But I think he's done a great job in trying to keep them all motivated. And he's definitely one of the most open team bosses that I think we get to chat to. And he was, yeah, like you said, met us in really good form. And um, I kind of just hope that they are more competitive next year. So he's more in the mix so that he's more, you know, people want to talk to him more because the team's doing well and he just plays a bigger role within within the sport. Yeah. That, one of the things that was really nice that he said, actually, to be fair, um, I mean, yeah, none of it was actually on the record, but it wasn't that it was stuff that we couldn't repeat uh, for a lot of it, was how he said he was never going to miss a race this year because the team's struggling. And he's like, that would be the complete wrong message. Like, these guys and girls show up at every racetrack, have to do such long hours. Like, you know, he said, I'm in control of my own schedule. So, you know, as much as, much as I'm the, the boss as such and, and what I need to do, um, I still need to kind of be there, but I don't have to be there at 8 a.m. each time or, you know work till 11 p.m. each night these guys are on that really strict schedule every race and if I don't show up and show that I'm willing to put the the time and effort in while it's bad then they're going to question why they should so he was like there's no this is the year that I never would miss a race he said if things were going better then maybe he would like you know skip a few a bit like Bonotto has and stuff this year but um he said yeah absolutely not which I thought was a really admirable admirable approach to take actually but yeah I think I think he was sick of my face by uh, the time I got to that because I'd interviewed him for a podcast um, a different podcast I'm doing for Motorsport Magazine uh, earlier in the day and then gone straight from there, basically packed up, come to the track, done a bit of work and gone back down. He's like, you again. Um, <laughs> but I did I did three of these over the weekend. I did Alex Albon as well on the Sunday morning. It was great. But Thursday, there's a bit of a, it's almost a tale of woe, where um, I managed somehow to get an interview with Kimmy for 45 minutes, um, which is not easy to talk to Kimmy for 45 minutes. Um, actually it was, but you'd think it wouldn't be, you know, you kind of did a lot of prep, but originally it was going to be at the team's factory this week because he was going to be there, um, later in the week and it's like, right, you know, come and do it and then see some people around the factory and kind of make the trip worth it. So I was like, oh, cool. And then on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I got a message from Alfa Romeo saying, actually, we might have a window on Thursday morning. Can you do it then? I was like, yeah, brilliant. So it was going to be, uh, I think at Kimmy's hotel, um, then it was going to be. 
uh, somewhere at the track, and then it was because we can't record in certain places at the track because of broadcast reasons. Uh, then it was okay. No, definitely needs to be at his hotel, but the time had changed, so I was trying to book a meeting room, and this was Wednesday night by now. So I'm at dinner with the two Lawrences after we actually recorded last week's episode. And I was trying to get in touch with the hotel Kimmy was staying at to book a meeting room and couldn't get through to anyone. So we drove there after dinner. Um, Lawrence Evanson did me a solid there that took me around there so I could speak to someone on the desk where they said, well, people only work office hours, but we'll log your request and call you in the morning. So the following morning, get it, get, you know, get through to them on the phone, get it lined up. And I was just about to leave to go over and set up and make sure everything was in place. When I then get a message that we can't do at the hotel anymore because Kimmy needs to do his COVID test by 2 p.m. And we were going to record it about 2 p.m. Uh, so he has to go to the track for that. So could I find somewhere at or near the track? So again, you've got the same problem with broadcast rights. And I ended up going to the stadium that's next to the track, um, desperately looking for somewhere to record. And there was like no main reception and things. It was all quite closed and quiet. And I tried to load the glass doors. It's like a proper like American sports arena, you know, like basketball kind of arena, something like that. And one of them at the very end opened. So I just walked in and it was this complete deserted sports arena. No one in there. Uh, I wandered around for a while, went to reception as such or information, nope, nobody there. Went up a level and walked around, nope, no one. Started going up another level thinking maybe offices are higher up, nope, you just got ticket barriers. And I thought, okay, I probably shouldn't keep doing this. So I, I left and then found another entrance that became a room that I was like, well, we could record here. Um, so I was nearly on the verge of just winging it and saying, Kimmy, come here at this time and we'll, we'll do this recording. Uh, and then fortunately, uh, someone at the circuit kind of hooked me up with, uh, again, uh, Amro, the uh, head of the Motorsport Federation there that I spoke about earlier. Uh, he had an office in the stadium. So eventually someone hooked me up so I could go and take over his office um, and set everything up. And then Kimmy would come to the stadium on his way to the track. Uh, and then he was late, naturally. So I was sat there having had a load of people do me a load of favours. Uh, and it got I don't know, 3 p.m., half three, and I'm sat there thinking, Kimmy's not going to show up, is he? Like, all of this is going to have been, like, I'd done no other work, just run around logistics. I was like, Kimmy's just going to suddenly drop me in it. Um, but no, he did come along, and he was on brilliant form. Um, talked about um, lots of stuff that people will be able to hear when we publish these podcasts, and I'll probably plug it. Um, but yeah, he talked about basically how he signed his first contract to come to the UK and start racing cars, um, and the nerves he had doing that, and the, the way he had to make a decision and he nearly didn't do it because of bad stories he'd heard. So he was excellent and did, yeah, 45 minutes of chat. But in typical Kimmy style, one, he spoke, you know, a lot like this, but you know, sometimes it was quite high and then you just go away again. So you probably didn't understand anything. I just said it was a bit like that. The, the Incredible ed- impression of Kimmy. <laughs> well, the, the edit is going to be horrific. Um, but also once it was done, he was so engaged and brilliant. And as soon as you say thank you very much, he's like, okay, thank you. And then he just gets up and is gone, like, as if as if nothing had happened. Like he couldn't wait to get out, even though all the way through he was brilliant. So it's quite funny how it's kind of like a switch for him. That when he sat down, and he's doing it, he's, he's perfect. But then it was just like, okay, I don't need to spend any more time with you now. That's plenty long enough for me to retire on. So um, he seems to be opening up a little bit, doesn't he? In these final final months, that's really cool. That I can't wait to hear that. That sounds really amazing. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed it. Um, and you're right, he he definitely did open up. He was more than willing to talk about anything. Um, so it was it was really, really good. Um, we got interrupted once by some randomer trying to walk into the office being like, what the hell's going on in here? Unfortunately, Will Panisi. Yeah. And Chris Medlin from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was that was such a stressful start to the weekend. Um, 
And once I got out of the way, I, I got to the track probably halfway through all the press conferences. Then I was like, oh, here's the part-timer. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it's like. Someone says that. You can't really justify yourself. You're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. But it was uh, very, very cool. So that was my probably my highlight of the week, I think. Maybe even Tom's nice playing one. golf with Lando. Wow. Wow. Sounds really, sounds good. I mean, to be fair, it was actually like <laughs> playing golf with Lando was, sounded great, but like from a work perspective, I had that to tick off with Kimmy as well, I guess. So, yeah, especially because he's leaving. And, um, wait, what? <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> well, I think Barato's... You're going to tell me, you're going to tell me Giovinazzi's leaving next. <laughs> not, not ready for that. Hey. Don't worry, we'll never hey. do that to you, Nate. <laughs> um, I think Barato's off to wave Kimmy off at some point. Yeah, hopefully I'll have a good Kimmy story for you um, next on next week's podcast. I'll explain more. Oh. Um, then, yeah. Oh, cliffhanger. <laughs> Add a little bit of tension yeah. to, uh, to next week's podcast. But thanks, chaps. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. And thanks to everyone who's listened as well. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on our social channels. And if you really want to, you can follow Medland if you're not already following him. And, well, Nate as well. Uh, you can read Nate's work on ESPN.com, my work on F1.com, and Medders' work on Racer.com. And we will do this again next week. Bye. Podcast Network.